and welcome to what I'm going to call the prologue episode of the Berubara Tag Boom podcast that I'm creating. My goal with this podcast is to accompany the written pieces I'm going to create to explain this project that I've been working on since October of last year and something I've been thinking about and trying to piece together since at least 2018. And that is why Beauty Pair and Crush Gals became so popular with the audience that it did. And no one seems to discuss this beyond a very surface level of, oh, Crush Gals were popular with teen girls. They were seen as heroes. And that seemingly is as far as the conversation goes when trying to discuss popularity of Crush Gals. And not as many people even then discussed the Beauty Pair, which was the archetype for Crush Gals. Everyone knows Crush Gals, and then they will talk about Chika Sanagayo and Linus Asuka. Not as many people discuss Beauty Pair, despite Beauty Pair being the first huge crossover celebrity from AJW. Yes, Maki Miyake, who I'll discuss in later episodes, was the first star from AJW, but she didn't reach the same audience in the number of fans as Beauty Pair did. And the reasons for that, I believe, are rooted all the way back to the early Meiji era, early 1870s, when the new middle and upper class start sending their daughters to these new all-girls secondary schools, and the creation of the shoujo happens. The shoujo being a young girl, teenager, specifically from these middle and upper class families. Shoujo is the ideal Japanese teen girl from a well-off family. And basically, from these all-girls schools, we start to see a creation of girls' culture that is then incubated and created through girls' magazines, which we see coming up during the publication boom of the Taisho era. So we have these girls' magazines with huge interaction with the readership through letters. Letters to the editors and letters to pen pals, the rest of the readership. These magazines get so popular that they then have meetings in different cities. So in the pre-war era Japan, you have these new secondary schools for girls. And now girls are having adolescence period. And during this adolescence period, they're reading these girls' magazines, and they start creating their own culture with their own language, fashion, aesthetic, art, all of that that's not understood by the larger popular culture because they don't understand the slang that's being used. They feel like the pictures are just meaningless, they're just made to look pretty and show off fashion. They don't see the value in these magazines and that dismissiveness just insulate this girl's culture more. And after World War II in the 50s, we start to see the emergence of manga and the creation of modern manga publication. And shoujo manga becomes different from shonen because again, people are dismissive of these books and manga made for girls that you see more experimentation with panel layout, art, monologues, the actual language of these books. 
that that again creates this insulated world of girls culture that the outside world the main culture doesn't understand and one of those shoujo manga is Rose of Versailles which is one of the most popular manga ever despite never being officially translated in English until 2020 but the Rose of Versailles becomes such a cultural phenomenon and is a part of the revolutionary works of 70s shoujo manga but Rose of Versailles becomes so popular that Takarazuka Review creates a stage production in 1974 and between 74 and 1976 over a million people go and see Takarazuka Review's Rose Versailles productions in the Takarazuka Grand Theater in Hyogo Prefecture and in Tokyo. And this two-year period gets called the Berubara Boom because of just how much money and people are coming to see just the Rose Versailles plays. In fact, the Rose Versailles is the production for Takarazuka Review. A lot of fans now are probably fans because they went and saw a production of The Rose of Versailles. So you have girls culture getting created in early Meiji era and becoming its own thing before World War II. Then after World War II, in the early 70s, you have a lot of what's considered the classic shoujo manga being created. As I mentioned already, Rose of Versailles, Thomas's Heart, Poe Clan, all these books with a similar aesthetic and more and more complex themes, all this is happening in the early 70s. And AJW probably saw this and said, hey, we can probably take advantage of this and get more people into our shows. And so they create the beauty pair. And the beauty pair is just the right formula at the right time. Because once beauty pair is made and win the 3WA tag titles, they just almost what seems instantly explode in popularity. Not even two years in, they're making music. They have a stage play in, I believe, 1976. They're in magazines. AJW completely changes the look and aesthetic of their official programs to emulate teen magazines like a Tiger Beat, if you're from the States. And you have all this conscious effort made to create this huge phenomenon and the fact that it just isn't discussed is it just feels weird that such a major force in Japanese wrestling men's or women's is just ignored by wrestling fandom and those who discuss the history of wrestling and I want to make this project to show people and hopefully they will also learn why this happened what was necessary for the beauty pair and crush gals to be created and to look the way they did and why that made them so popular. After this prologue episode, I'm gonna make another podcast that's gonna be a more proper introduction to my project. And right now I already have like nine different episodes, audio and written, roughly outlined to try to explain how all of this works. Cause you're gonna have to understand nearly a century of history just to understand why all this happened. And it's been an undertaking. I've read, I think, four or five books. It's been fun, I will say. Learning about girls' culture, shoujo manga, and wrestling has been very fun because I've been thinking about this since 2018. And despite my thoughts in 2018 being not the right lens to look at this, I was going in a direction that I feel like was heading towards 
the answer. And now I feel like I'm on the right track to head towards that answer and to explain why to a wider audience. And through this project, I've had to examine my own fandom of not just professional wrestling, but of other types of media that I consume. Like, I recently became a fan of Takarazuka Review, but through this project, I've examined my own thoughts and reasons why I'm into the things I am and the fandom spaces I seeked out back when I was on Tumblr in high school in the early 2010s. So it's been a lot of personal growth for me and also learning a lot about Japanese history that I never thought I would take an interest in because I didn't think, why would I need to learn about the publication of magazines in the Taisho era? Why would I need to examine the Meiji Restoration? How is this all related to wrestling? Turns out a lot of this stuff relates to wrestling. And I hope I can articulate this information well enough that people learn and are excited to learn more about it. One of the main things I've learned through this project is in 2018, I was so focused on the imagery of these tag teams having photos together and the adolescent audience being in love with that and trying to understand why they were in love with that. And that took me down the path of trying to figure it through a modern queer identity lens, and that's not right. And one of the first things we're going to talk about is what an S-class relationship is. The S-class relationship in pre-war Japan, the social norms of pre-war Japan, and how even up until the 1920s and 1930s, homosexual acts did not equate homosexual identity in Japan. But as a person living in 2021 where homosexual acts does equate a homosexual identity, it took a long time to separate that from historic context. And even some academics don't separate that out. And that's something I'll also discuss, how some academics just refuse to understand that not everything related to the S-class relationship in girls' culture had underlying homoeroticism. Yes, there was some homoeroticism present, but that was not the driving force in girls' culture and S-class relationships because these things were not subversive. They were all a part of this heteronormative society. So things like that are topics you can expect me to touch on in further detail, especially in writing. As I said before, with the audio post, I'm going to bring more of my own opinion and a stronger voice to the subject matter. And with the written post, I'm going to try and keep a proper distance with my voice. I'm not going to try and preach the knowledge. I want to make the audience feel like they're also learning the knowledge that I'm presenting. And that's the basic synopsis of this prologue episode. I just wanted to also get a practice run into making audio because I'm just so out of practice. I haven't done a podcast in years. I need to dip my toes back in the water and learn, relearn how to edit, make audio sound nice, get my recording setup back up again. And hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. And hopefully this will drive interest into what I'm trying to accomplish. As long as this just gets more views than any of my stardom writings, then I'll consider it a mission accomplished. Because despite me not being a stardom fan, as a creator, it is frustrating when you try to talk about all these different subjects that you are interested in, and then just a blog post about me talking about what I think about Bushi Road acquiring stardom is one of my most viewed blog posts. It's a little frustrating. 
So hopefully through this project, more people will put eyes on my blog, will take an actual interest in what I'm trying to say, and will take away something from this. And that's the ultimate goal. Having more people learn about this century of cultural creation, evolution that brings us to the beauty pair and the crush gals. 